0: You can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1 if you'd like to. You know, our journey point each week is designed to point, point out a point in our journey. And that point that we're looking at this week is the intimacy that we have with God. And then Mark followed up on that with the Lord's Supper, talking about how this is this symbolic supper, it's not a true supper, obviously, but a symbolic supper actually is designed to transform us into his image. What what's more intimate than that transformation? And so as we look at Ephesians, we're going to continue to look at how this happens and this closest that we have with God. A couple of things that Dimitri said that stood out to me. He said, God loves us like you won't believe. And and in the context that he said it, that just jumped out. And then he said, God is pursuing each of us. And as we look at, if you have not seen that so far in our study of Ephesians, you've you've probably missed the point. And so hopefully we'll hit that point today. We looked at uh, verses 7 through 10 last week. And some have said that 10 is the key verse in the whole book of Ephesians. That it kind of just sums up the entire book. And it's a difficult verse. And it really is uh, it's a difficult verse to translate. Into, and as you, read it in the, as you read it, it's like, well, what, what exactly is that saying? But it does bring all the other verses to this point, this crescendo. And Paul is saying here that God's entire plan... God has made a plan, and His entire plan, with perfect timing, leads to Christ, and He brings everything in heaven and on earth together under His rule. I summed it up this way, under Christ, verse 10, under Christ's management, under His control at just the right time and then just with precise timing, all things in heaven and on earth are brought back once again under his rule. And if you think about this, if you really meditate on this, this should be a source of great encouragement. History is not random. History is, all of history is moving under the plan of God, under the plan of a loving God with the with goal being a precise point, and that precise point is the cross of Christ. And then all of history... From that point on, is again moving toward another precise point that we're going to look at in verse 14, where it says he will bring together this final redemption. And so, God is controlling history to come to this point of the cross, and then from the point of the cross to a final redemption. And we're under that management, we're under that direction of God Himself. God works as God works, he does not exclude bad things from happening. He doesn't exclude evil from our world. But even with all the struggles and the temptations and the evil and the sin, there's still God moving us toward a goal, a a plan. And the rest of Ephesians, as we read through it, is going to detail how this works out, and really in the last part, chapters 4 on, how it how, how this plan works out in our personal life, our personal lives. One question people have when you talk about God's work and God's plan is how, how, how does this happen? How does this all work? I mean, how is God's work obvious? If God's plan, if God is moving history... Then why do I have all these terrible things that happen in our lives? Why, why, do, why does a tornado go through Alabama and kill 23 people? Where was God in that? Or when there's, you know, some other disaster? Where is God? And my answer is this. We can't know all the answers. And most of what the Bible teaches us isn't how God works the big plan but how he's working out his plan in your personal life. And I think sometimes we avoid how this affects me personally by deflecting and saying, oh, but how did God work? How does God work in a disaster like a tornado? God obviously wasn't in control there. And we miss the point of the scriptures where he says, where God basically saying, let me worry about that. What I want you to worry about is your sphere, your life, what you can do today. That's what you need to concern yourself about. Redeemed people learn how to live redeemed lives while we wait for a final redemption. That's where our focus needs to be. There's not an area of life that's not under the leadership of Christ. And so, as we go to this opening doxology, it's called a, a song of praise in the first 14 verses. He tells us three things about God the world in their time did not know, and the world today does not know. Number one, first, God is for us, and that's the title of our lesson: God is for us. Second, all good things, salvation, relationship, blessings are in Christ, and Uh, Three, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's for us. All good things are in Christ. And then we have empowerment through the Spirit, which we will talk about next week. If you have a skewed view of God, these words in Ephesians should change how you think about him and how you act toward him. And I should say this. Since you have a skewed view of God... Because we all struggle with the concept of God and who he is and his character. It's a continuous growing journey to learn the character, the nature of God and how it applies to our lives. Let's read verses 11 through the first part of uh, verse 13. We're not actually going through verse 14 today, but through the first part of verse 13. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, Who works out everything in conformity with his purpose and will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The first thing I saw as I studied this is God is for us, God is for people. And this is something we need to be constantly reminded of. The Ephesians, uh, Christians, they lived in an in a atmosphere, in a place where images, the image of God in their life was dark and unsettling. They lived, and I was there last year, about this time, a little bit April of last year. Right in the midst of Ephesus, just you can, you can look, if you're in the right place, you can just look a little ways away. It's about a half a mile, a mile away at the most. The Temple of Artemis. It was located there as part of the, the, the uh, biggest pagan temple in the world of their day. It was grand, it was beautiful. And yet, these people in Ephesus were doing all they could to, to figure out how they could appease uh, Artemis. Uh, we read in uh, the book of Acts where they, they had all these magic books, and these are not magic trick books. These are books that have spells in them that tell you how to get your way. If you want to marry a certain person and she's not responding to you or you're in a financial mess or whatever it is, you go to the magician, you go to the witch doctor, and he would tell you what spell to read out and what to say and how to do it and how to perform the magic. The signs of the zodiac was just a part of their daily life. What is fate? leading me to what's my that my sign leading me to and there were all these formulas of how to how to get around the direction of fate every area of life they were trying to find the right key the right way to appease or either manipulate the gods to get their their way it was just constant tension in the city of ephesus which god should we worship which goddess should we serve What's the right way of doing? You're always walking on eggshells, not knowing if you're doing the right thing. I saw this in Fiji when, when people would talk about witch doctors and dealing with witch doctors. And my good little brother, Bimlish, talked to him last uh, November when I was there. And he told me about every morning when he had to live with his stepmother. And she is the, the ultimate stepmother <laughs> in a bad way she would have um, uh, blood in containers and sprinkled all over uh, the floor and the door. As he opened up his bedroom door, there was blood everywhere because she was performing curses on him, trying to make him sick and trying to drive him out. And he said he got to the point that he would no longer, he couldn't walk uh, through the door to go to the bathroom. He would leave through the the bedroom window, walk around the house to go to the bathroom because it was just filthy with blood. And we just don't relate to that, but that is what people relate to today with the gods trying to manipulate the gods. And that's what these people did today uh, in their day and time. And so their world was confused about God. Who is God? And if you were to say, God is for you, they would say, I just don't believe that. And our world is confused today, too. We continually have the message from the world that our God is not for you. I'm going to show you a quick clip here from, I believe, the... The night show or the late show or one of those shows, the late show that goes on till tomorrow's show, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Colbert, is that how you say his name? This, the comedian with him, I always mess up his name, Jim Gaffigan, is that it? All right, you'll recognize him. Anyway, they, they start, I don't watch the late show, but I, I do a lot of research and I came across this and I was like, oh man, that's exactly right. That's what the world is saying. And so he's beginning his you know, interview with them, and they're gonna say something about God, and this is what the world thinks of God. I want you to listen to this. I'm not affectionate. <laughs> I, you have five children, especially sir. With my, I'm trying to raise creative children, so I'm withdrawing whenever I can. <laughs> withdrawing affection. <laughs> yes. I think that'll make some musicians. What do you think, band? Will it yeah. work? Mm-hmm. A father's Uh, job is to be distant, authoritative, and never quite pleased. That way, the children can eventually understand God. That's right. Mm -hmm. That is the answer. Three million people are are under his uh, at his pulpit. This is his pulpit. Every night, I guess five nights a week, three million people listen to him. Over three million people. And that's the message, and we have to be careful. If you're one of the disciples of Stephen Colbert, listen carefully. Because they are trying to teach you something about life and God that's a lie. And that's what he just did. And he did it cool. He did it funny. He did it in a, with a neat band there. He did it uh, with a a receptive audience that's going to laugh and say, oh, that's good. And people will say, oh, you know, he's just joking. He was telling his truth, which is a lie. He said, God is a God who is distant, authoritative, and never quite pleased. And some in this room believe that. You believe it. And I want you to know you're believing a lie if you believe that. You're listening to the message of Satan and the world. And the only way I can tell you, I can say that with with authority is because I'm not speaking from my authority. I'm looking at God's word and I'm saying, who is this God? Who is this God? And Paul is is trying to draw you out and say, this is the God, the true God. And he brings clarity to the person of God. Uh, We can sum this up by saying God is for you. God is for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. God is for you. If God is for you, who can be against us? And that word for there means he is interested in you. He goes beyond for our benefit. He works for our benefit. And, And Paul has said this. He blesses us. He speaks well of us. That's what the word means. He speaks well of us. And when God speaks power, things happen. When he speaks, we are empowered. His word is powerful. He redeems. He chose to view us as holy and blameless. We can walk through life forgiven because God said so. And in verse 11 and 12, he just keeps on showing more of this character and this nature of God. And I want you to urge you do not listen to Steve Colbert, Stephen Colbert. He he seemed, I I think I'd love to have coffee with a guy. He seems like a neat guy to hang out with. But he's telling you a lie. The word in verse 11 he says, We are special chosen ones. Verse 11. This word chosen, in him we were also chosen, is a different word from the word that you saw in verse 4 where it says we are chosen. And this is why it's good to look up the words and do a word study because we we have one word, chosen. There's two different words here, totally two different words. And this particular word in verse 11 means chosen by lot. We don't do this. We you know throw in dice. Uh, Jesus' clothes were chosen by lot. The people threw down these dice or some kind of lot and made a choice here. In the Old Testament, Israel was assigned land. They had twelve tribes, and when they were dividing up the land, this is how they did it. They did it by throwing lots, by ch- uh, casting lots. But they believed because God was not going to speak directly to them and say, Now, I want, Israel, I want uh, Judah here, and I want Benjamin here. They said, This will be how God will speak to us. He, we throw the lots, but he makes the decision. That's a proverb that, that's in the book of Proverbs. So they believed that God was making the choice by means of throwing these lots. Here it says, God cast a lot. This is what the word means. And since he is the one who determines where the lot falls, he is the one who is making the choice. And so what he is saying here, he says God is casting his lot. God chooses his portion. God is choosing his inheritance here. And that inheritance is those in Christ. Now, just that's mind-blowing if you'll think for a minute. God cast lots for you. And he knew the outcome. He already had determined what he was going to do. And as he cast these lots, he said, I'm casting them because I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose those in Christ. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6. It says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. He did this with Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. They didn't live up to that. They weren't able to. So it became in its, more, in its greater fulfillment in the new covenant 1 uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, the same word, God's special possession. God chose you, and he said, you're special to me. You're my, cho- you're my treasure. You're my treasure. You're my special one. And this isn't according to circumstances. Things just did not happen, and God kind of figured it out as he went along, but it's meticulously planned. God meticulously planned planned this along and this verse shows it in four, in uh, several words here that I'm going to point out that God meticulously planned this from the before the beginning of time. He said first of all he predestined and that word is he predetermined, he made a decision predetermined. And I shared with you when we saw this in I think verse 5 where it literally means pre-horizons before there were horizons. Before the world was a world, before the horizons, God made a decision. God made a, a choice, and he, this was his choice. I'm going to choose you who are in Christ to be my special possession. I'm going to choose you to be my treasure. I'm going to choose you to be my inheritance. And then he says this plan, according to the plan, and this means the purpose. This means he, he resolved to do this. He determined to do this. It was his plan. Literally, it is pre-thesis. A thesis is a statement that is put forth as a premise that has to be maintained or proved. And so God is saying, here's my thesis. You're special, and I'm going to prove that to you. I'm going to show that. I'm going to maintain that. I'm going to show that you're special to me. And then he says purpose. According, He works everything out in conformity to his purpose. And this is a new word. We haven't seen this word yet. But it means his deliberate, determined, thought-out reflection. In other words, he didn't react to history. He didn't say, oh, oh, man, that guy messed up, so i got to fix things over here. But this is pre-thought-out. It's determined. It's deliberate. He has a a goal that he's going toward. He's thought it out, and he's going to get it accomplished. According to the purpose of his will, and we've already seen this word, because attached to this word is emotion. It's his heart's desire. God is saying, this is not only my thought that I'm going to do this, but it's my heart. This is what I want to do. Summing, Summing it all up. We can say it's God's heart's desire to choose you as his special child. And he arranged all of history to bring you to himself. Is God distant? Is God authoritative in a negative sense? Is God one who never can be quite pleased it just doesn't match up to this God who is arranging history, everything, to bring you to himself. And our society keeps whispering in our ears, he's a harsh God. He's a distant God. He keeps you at arm length. You can never quite be comfortable with him. So just, just stand away from him. Just don't get close to him. I mean, he's a burning fire. He'll consume you. All these things, they'll twist some scriptures to get you to just keep God a little bit. At arm's length. And then God keeps whispering in our ears. And he says, I want you. I've always wanted you. Before I created you, I wanted you. I bless you. I want to bless you. I want to choose you as my special treasure. I want you in my family. I want to adopt you in my family. Distant God. Authoritative God. God. One pre- who has never preached, which whisper are you listening to? And it's whispers. I mean, most people will listen to that little clip that I did and just, just go right past you. you, never, you never, it never hit you that he's preaching a gospel of damnation. And we don't hear the whisper of the world. We don't think we hear the whisper of the world, but it's so easy to follow it. Which whisper are you listening to? When we really hear and believe who God is, then a great hope wells up in our lives, verse 12. It says, we are the first to hope, and this hope is knowing. It means knowing is a confident, this word hope here means a confident expectation of what was promised will happen. God said something will happen, and we hope in it, meaning not that we wish it will happen, but that we are confident this will take place. So God's plan to bring us to us to Himself, we know it's going to take place. First to hope. Anchoring all this in Christ. That's where the anchor is. And this hope, when we're anchored in this hope, it produces this praise of his glory here. And this word praise means I'm speaking well of, I'm speaking out of what we speak out of his glory. We see his glory. We see this God. We see this wonder of a god and we have to speak we have to say look what kind of god he is this is a god who loves you this is a god who wants you this is a god who has planned history to bring you to himself we speak out of his character god is a gregarious god god is a gracious god god is a great god god is a giving god god is a good god i couldn't think of any more (laughs) geez maybe you can and this moves us when we, when we grasp it, when we hold on to this. It will move us into energetic emotions. Energy that is seeking to live right and act right and speak right. It might make you get physically excited. And you know, I've explained this before. Praise is not just jumping up and down and raising your hands and saying, praise God. It's fine if you do that. If this, when you see this, if it causes you to want to just yell out, hallelujah, fine, that's okay, but if it doesn't cause you to live right, it's just, it's just an inch deep. Amen. Not even that, it's a quarter inch deep. Amen. And so you, when we see what he's done, it will cause us not only to be excited about him, but to, to speak about him and to say, look, I look at my life, and I'm not matching up to the great God, and so I want to change the way I'm living. I want to change the way I'm speaking. I want to be more like him. His Character is calling me into a relationship that forgives and cleanses and strengthens and helps us. And so in turn, I turn around and I grant others what God has given me. I forgive others. I strengthen others. I help others. And all of this is in Christ. Verse 13, the first part of verse 13, says it's in Christ. None of these blessings are out of Christ." He calls all who hear him into Christ so that you can receive these blessings. Do you want this relationship? Do you want this this connection with God? Do you want this forgiveness, this redemption, this being chosen? Well, here it is. It's in Christ. That's where you have to be. And no one's excluded. Some people teach that it's only to a certain uh, uh, group of people. But 2 Peter 3-9 says he wants all people Everywhere to repent, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Romans 10, uh, verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Leaves no one out. If you want the Lord, you can have him. want to be clear. These blessings are not received when you are a nice person. These blessings are not when you're good good enough to get them. And that's not even when you're trying hard. We were talking today about praying and fasting. Those are good things to do. But if you're doing those in order to receive the blessings, if you're doing them, say, God, I'm going to fast for three days so I can get these blessings. You, you've missed, you, you, you missed it. That's not what fasting is all about. How do we get these blessings? By being in Christ. He says, in Christ. And so that tells me there is an in and there is an out. And over and over in these verses, I think 13 or 14 times, he keeps saying... This blessing is in Christ, in Him, in the One He loves. In Christ, in He just repeats it over and over. One one author said, "It's just it's almost like an oh, he he overdoes it. He says it so many times, but you can't say it too many times. That these all these things are in Christ. It's not in niceness. It's not in goodness. It is not in trying hard. It is in Christ. And so the important question is how, how do I get in? I've got to get in because all blessings are in Him. So how do I do it? And he sums it up right here. This is a condensed version here. This is a Reader's Digest version. He says, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's how you get in Christ. You hear the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And this word hear means more than just hearing a sound. You can sit in church, and you can hear the gospel message, and it doesn't get you in. Hearing the message in an assembly, hearing the message any place, does not get you in. Because this hearing means listening, listening, comprehending, and it applies, strongly implies you act on what you hear. You hear something you go, okay, that's what I have to do. So you move in that direction. And the first thing he says, this is the gospel of your salvation. The first thing is about salvation. We need saving. The world needs saving. Sophisticated America does not believe that. Ask Stephen Colbert. If he gets mad at me and wants to have a talk with me, he can fly me out to wherever he is and we'll sit down and have a talk. (laughs) But he does not believe, I don't think, in salvation. We don't need salvation. Save, Save from what? And yet these same people all the while seek salvation. They seek it financially. They seek it medically. They seek it socially. They seek it uh, in a psychiatric way. They're always looking for, I'm lost. I need something. I need something. My marriage is falling apart. I need something. My my emotions are falling apart. I need something. So they're seeking, always seeking salvation, and they don't even know it. Well, they're saying, we don't need salvation. But salvation is more than just being saved from going to hell and going to heaven. This is where I think Christians have made the mistake of super spiritualizing things and saying salvation only has to do with going to heaven it does it's that but it's more than that it's salvation from our death condition we're dying we are physically dying we need to be saved from our physical death we are dying physically we're we are dead spiritually we're dying morally we're dying socially every area of our life death touches every single area of our life and if god can only fix that one spiritual area he's a very small god god comes in to fix everything he wants to fix your entire being not just your spiritual life he wants to fix your social life he wants to fix your marriages he wants to fix your relationships he wants to fix every area he wants to fix you physically and he promises that one day he says look this is what's happening right now. This is another verse, okay? I'm not going to go there. But he said, this is what's happening right now. You're dying, but one day he's going to make it new. He's going to make your whole body a new body. You say, well, what, what is that going to look like? He says, oh, you foolish person. You're, you're, that's like a seed saying, uh, you know, what's, what's the plant going to look like? You don't know. We can't explain. I can show you a seed. You would not know what it is unless you're, you know, some expert in seeds. But I can show you that and say, what plant is that? What's that going to look like later? You may not know. And so in the same way, he says, that's the way your body is. This is a seed right now. One day it's going to be, wow, so glorious. I'm going to fix that too. God is fixing every area of our life. He promises eternity with him. But while we live on this earth, he's working out. We are working out our salvation. We're working out how to live this saved life. Not only spiritually, but working out every relationship that we have. So being in Christ... It means living saved. It means forming my character. It means forming my morals, my thinking. It affects my relationship. It affects all my life. In Christ is a state. It's an environment. It's a geography. It's, it's, the, it's everything about me. It's not just my spiritual life. It's everything about me. And so my faith is in a God who fixes everything. He offers salvation, and that offer of salvation causes me to act, to move into this relationship that he's told me about. How, again, do I get in Christ? This is important. Every major event in life has a specific entry point. Think about this. Every event in life. Here's some. Marriage. Some people say, that's just a piece of paper. No, it's not. It is, it is a, I'm not married, and I am married. I'm in a relationship at one point in the marriage, I, probably when you say, I do, or when you kiss the bride, I don't know. But there's a point we could say, that's when I married Julie, June 16, 1978, <laughs> I don't think, for a moment. But that's the point the day before I was not married, and that's the day I got married. Here's the date that Darren became a U.S. citizen. He stood up in Atlanta, Georgia, put his hand up with a group of people, and he said, I promise, whatever. I can't remember all the things that he said. I don't remember the exact date. Do you remember the exact date? Angel's like, no. (laughs) It all blends together when you have three kids, you know. But there he is. He's sitting there going, right before this, he was not Citizen of the United States. He was a citizen of Fiji and now he is a citizen of the United States. You go to Canada, there's a, you're on this side, you're in America. You cross through that line, there's a line, there's a literal line. When you go on the other side of the line, you are in Canada. You step on this side, you know, you can step on both sides. You can say, I'm half in America, half in Canada. That's, it's, it's true. You can do that if they let you. Birth, there is a time, there's a point of time that says, now I'm in a relate, I'm in the world now, I have been born, and it's just like, here's a silly one, just going in a door, all right, there you go, in and out, in and out, out and in, out and in, there's a point that you were out of this room, and you came in this room, every point, every major and minor point, there is a point that says, I am now in, I'm in Christ, I am out of Christ, so what is the point of entering into Christ where we are now in a relationship with him. I have no idea who this is. If it's someone I shouldn't have put on the screen, you can tell me later. All right. Oh, that was a bad movie. Sorry. I don't know. All right. Let me go to Galatians chapter. I'm going to show you one passage and then we'll be done. Every major event has a specific point of entry and God tells you what it is. He says here, so in Christ Jesus... When you're in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. And then he, tell, he explains it: for all of you who are baptized into Christ Jesus, have clothed yourself with Christ. Is that simple? This is it. This is the point of out and in. I was out. I do not receive the blessings. I am not chosen. I am not blessed. And then I go under that water and I come up. And we could have a whole series of lessons of what all that's about because you could have a lot of questions. But here's all you need to know right now God said, That's the end point, that's where you come into Christ. My goal is not to convince you to get baptized. My goal is not to convince you that baptism is necessary to become a Christian. My goal is to help your faith grow in such a great God that when you finally see him, you will say, whatever it takes to get in that relationship, that's what I want. If he said, jump off a building, I'll jump off a building. If he says, get dunked in water, I'll get dunked in water. And the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is the pride in recognizing your need and then allowing someone to just dunk you. you got to give up your pride to do that. Some have been taught over and over. You've heard this over and over. Well, baptism is a work. Baptism is a work. And yet the Bible never says it's a work. It's a faith response. It's like, oh, that's what you want? Okay, I'll do it. It's a faith response. You're responding into faith, in faith to a God who has called you to do something. You say, okay, if that's, if that's the marriage ceremony, if that's the birth process, dunk me. That's where I want to be in a relationship with you. So what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized. Wash away your sins. Calling on the name of the Lord.